How Long Gone, uh, coming to you live from a beautiful, beautiful fall day in Manhattan. The sun is shining. There's a light breeze. The, the, the temps are nice and chill, but it's getting heated on the internet, Jason, between two of our kind of favorites. Um, okay. Is this involving... Is it, it's not Drake and Joe Budden again, right? I mean, they're still kind of trading uh, barbs, no Nikki, um, but they are... Uh, okay. They are... I mean, it, it's it's Joe reading DMs from Drake after they both went crazy on the uh, on you know on on the Instagram, which seems seems like unnecessary, but. No, there's there's something else happening, and it's it's your kind of doppelganger. Aaron Rodgers has challenged <laughs> um, the t- Taylor Swift's current smash piece, uh, Kansas City Chiefs tight end uh, Travis Kelsey, to a debate over the effectiveness of COVID vaccines. Yes, and I am over the moon about this um, because there's nothing. I, look, I don't want to hear athletes talk about anything, really. Except for all of the great athletes who have taken the time to be a guest on How Long Gone. We love and support you guys. Well, I want them to talk. I, yeah, I want them to talk about thoughts, making money, and buying cars. I do not want them to talk about public health. I want to hear about Javonchi shoes. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Like your, I don't, how much you can deadlift, and that's about it, brother. I don't want to hear about your thoughts on this, but you know, I, I think that Aaron Rodgers is kind of. Is making you look bad a little bit because you know he's he's been out here whiling for a minute. It's it's. I hope this isn't causing you. Who's looking make who look bad? We all know that he's going to win the debate. No, I think they're both a little bit brain dead. Obviously, the 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 CTE doesn't help, but I I think that the I don't um, think I don't think Travis can wiggle out of this one. I I think I think that Aaron I, Aaron will. I don't think so either. Tra- people want to have a beer with Travis now more. But it's it's he's basically like a Ken doll, so there's not yeah, yeah, much yeah. beyond the surface level of his his smile and his and his and his skin he's, fade. He's a Ken doll. He's a Ken doll. He's a Ken doll that refuses to, that will only go to a black barber shop. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. It's, it's good. that's a hundred percent what he is. That's a good description. Yeah. I okay okay. I mean I don't I don't even care. I think the debate is a win for America. I don't think it matters. I'm saying actually... Travis is not standing on business the way Aaron is, and that's the <laughs> and that's the the foundation <laughs> that that wins or loses a debate. Yeah. No, standing on business is the most important part of any debate, and that's that's something that you know I I would lay down my life for. Metaphorically speaking, of course, of course. Uh, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? I feel good. It's. I mean, I, I just left a gym sesh. Just had a pump on. I was inspired by our previous episode with Dave One, wanting to get swole. You know, I'm natural, of course, though, so I don't. I wasn't really doing the, the stuff that you guys were talking about. But <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I'm also not putting up a, as much weight as you guys it, are it, doing. So that's how it works. But I'm glad that you're you're still pushing forward. You're trying, and that's all that matters. Yeah, man. I mean, I gotta I gotta pump the jeans out of me. As they say, right? Yeah. No, not the Vim jeans, like the jeans, G-E-N-E-S. <laughs> I got it. Okay, I was confused. No, no, no. I mean, jeans, I, I guess I should say I got to pump the Stewart out of me. Yeah, no, I knew what you meant. I, I No, I know. But it's confusing because your name also includes the word jeans. You can see where I, I could make a mistake there. <laughs> uh, as soon as it left my lips, I was like, this is going to be a... <laughs> It's gonna be a twister. I saw gonna, I saw fellow podcaster Mark Marin there. It's been a while since I've seen him at the gym, so it's good to see him. What what be, what beanie was he wearing on the stretching floor? <laughs> he may have been he may have been toque free, toqueless. 
Um, it all it all happened really quick. I didn't. Uh, he he was going while I was coming, so there wasn't a whole lot of lit spying to do. Was he so? Was he solo dolo? Was he with a trainer? Was he with a friend? Like who was? No, he? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I don't like okay. to get in. I don't like to get into that. You know, with my okay. friends, my close no, friends. I, I understand you wouldn't want to air air out Mark. I mean, we still are holding. I mean, he's. He's got Schwarzenegger on tomorrow, so we we still are, you know, we're still chasing the title. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think that me abiding to the bro code at the Equinox in Glendale is going to be the one thing that gets uh, him on the podcast, of course, but I don't think that's going to happen. Would you rather... Maybe one day. Would you rather have Marin on How Long Gone or How Long Gone on Marin? That's the, that's the real question. What would bring you more joy? Um, I would probably... I don't know. I, th- I think if we were to do Marin, it would be better if we did it one on one. I think if if it was the two of because he would never yeah, do true, two. True. I think he's never <clears throat> done two two guys. Yeah, that's not true. He did he did Pitt and DiCaprio okay, together. Okay. We're no There's, different. We're no different. You know, there have been there have been, <laughs> <laughs> just like Joe Budden flying private. There are very select <laughs> moments where something like that yes, happens. Yes, yeah. But I think yeah. by and large, he he really refuses to do that, which I which is cool. I respect that, but. I would rather have him do How Long Gone because, you know, then I, I would be in the driver's seat. He's coming into our house. Yeah, exactly. He's coming into our house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think he I He'd think be a little he more would, on his um, heels, man. A little more defensive. I think, he would be, <laughs> I think he would absolutely hate us. Of course. Um, of course. And like worse than any guest we've ever had. And not just because he's the, the pod father, um, but because he just, I don't think he actually likes humor. Like, I think he likes being a comedian, but I don't think he likes to laugh. Does that make oh, sense? Oh, I've never heard him laugh in my entire life. <laughs> it's it's really... He he does seem like a, a, a talented but joyless individual. And I, I mean, life's, you know, given him some lemons for sure. Well, you t- that's what my wife says about me. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we've all been dealt cards. She's tried to turn this frown upside down. I said, mm, I wish I could. I wish I could, but I can't. Uh, okay, what else we got going on here? I, I wanted to to say that really quickly speaking of equinox the hot water has been out at the equinox oh, in glendale no. over the last few days they'll send me an email saying the hot water's out yeah hot yeah. water's back on but that doesn't affect that doesn't affect the grusslers who only do cold showers anyway so you're kind of good, a good right? point. i like when i when i use the urinal i like it a little warm though just on the flush okay because it, sure, it will sure, spray sure, my sure. ankles and, and my shin so <laughs> a little warm doesn't hurt but yeah no that that's a great point that's a great all point. this is to say equinox and then they they sent an email again over the weekend hey water's back on the next morning i wake up hey water's back off again okay so, so they're um, they're kind of effing with you at this point you feel like it, it feels uh, it's not personal towards me but how can i ignore it kind of, of. Course, and of i course, and i know course. that the the board members of equinox the c-suite over at knox listen to how long gone so yeah you know if you upgrade me to an all city pass i'll stop uh, talking about what's going on i'll stop bringing up the water the plumbing issues well don't worry i'm the reason i'm paying for the all city pass is so i can go kick the tires in every fucking location mm-hmm. and air out any grievances on how long gone that's the only reason that that i'm paying the extra 35 dollars mm-hmm. a month i paid for um, it okay okay but you know I'm, just like with my uh my my restaurant criticism as soon as you send over the hamachi crudo <laughs> I, I can't take it. You know I can't take it. <laughs> you know I can accept another crudo. You know this. We talked about this. I had delicious. I had a delicious crudo last night. Actually, uh, is that was, right? Yeah, I went to I went to ABC Kitchen with Eric uh, from Secretly Group, our our A and R. Oh, I miss Eric. Hi, Eric. 
Eric, Eric's the best. We had a nice, we had a nice chat about the state of the industry, kind of who's doing what, movers and shakers, you know, mm-hmm. um, which was which was nice. You know, I'd love to get in that in that zone uh, with a professional. In our black, I'm going to Big Chicago tomorrow to build with friend of the show Benjamin Edgar. Jason and I'm I'm mm-hmm. I was reminiscing because we're doing something at the J Crew store there and I'm I was reminiscing about when we went to and had that nice long lunch at the RL Cafe with Ben mm. um and you got a little drunk I believe is what happened did I drink that day I believe you had a day martini I believe you, I I remember yeah, I'm sure I, I'm sure I did I'm sure I did I mean but you you were sort of prefacing that with. I got drunk and then did something bad, but all I did no, was no, just no, ha- no. I just had a martini and enjoyed myself. That's all. Yeah, yeah. It was just a two and a half hour lunch, which is which is something that, that And wasn't there um wasn't like Donald Glover there? Uh the original, not 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 childish yeah, Fino. <laughs> the original. I think the, <laughs> I think Bruce Willis's homeboy Donald Glover was in the building. Wasn't he it was him, right? It was it was I think so. It was like a it was a a legendary African American actor from our from our childhood years. I think it was Donald Glover. I mean that. It's but just just seeing a guy like him. Oh yeah. You know, oh, in yeah. Chicago having lunch at a fancy restaurant. Something it was just so perfect. That does. Know? That feels like a Christmas. It's exactly who you want to see there. No, that's true. That's exactly what I see. You want to see like him and like like a beloved vice president. You know, like a like a Jimmy Carter before he was like. Mm-hmm. You know, geriatric bedridden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Georgia legend. No disrespect to Jimmy. A seventy-two-year-old Jimmy Carter yeah. having lunch. <laughs> just, oh, baby. He's choking on the shrimp cocktail, but his his nurse is right there to kind of get it out of there. That, that's silverware's clanking, brother. <laughs> Hands are shaking. Silverware's <laughs> clanking. Um, we wanted to talk about our shows a little bit because uh, in LA uh, we do have some guests confirmed, and I'm very excited. Uh, our, our friend, the hilarious Robbie Hoffman, is going to do some comedy kind of before we take the stage. We're trying something new. Um, one of the funniest people I've ever seen, so I'm very, very happy that she agreed to join us. And then to chat with us is uh, a friend of the show, Kate Berlant, mm-hmm. um, who we've we've actually never had on, um, but we've been talking to her for a long time about trying to figure something out. I've, I've never talked out. to her, but... Uh, okay. I feel like I, I've I talked to her, her for a long. I feel like I know her. I've, talk- I've seen her work so much uh, that I do feel like I know her. But yeah, so Robbie Hoffman, uh, Kate Berlant, uh, El Ray Theater, uh, November 11th in Los Angeles. Good tickets now, um, and we'll have we'll have more on the New York and Boston front uh, very soon. Yeah, um, and it's one it's one of those bittersweet things because Robbie Hoffman is so funny. So it's a little bit like when the when the opening band is like clearly much better than the headliner. Yeah, there's a I, I have a little fear yeah, of that. Yeah, there's that because yeah. I mean, yeah, that's fine. Which is fine. That'll just make me work harder, I guess. But she's just like, oh my god. There's just something about her where it just she just kills me. It's so funny. No, same, same. It's another. And it's I like know that you level. are anti-comedy for the most part. I know, but I can't get enough. I, I'm I'm Hoffman pilled. Mm-hmm. Um. All right, so we have a guest today. Another long time coming, Jason. Uh, this is this has been going on for for quite a while. Uh, superstar DJ Mark Ronson mm-hmm. uh, is 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 joining us today. Uh, Ron Don, you know you know uh, Ronson uh, from all of his various uh, musical projects. Not you know. We could start with Winehouse. We could start with like RZA. I don't know how far you want to go, <laughs> um, but but uh, he's um, he did did the Barbie soundtrack, which I know Jason is a, is a big fan of. 
um, and several other yeah. things. But he's also he's working on a his memoir. Uptown Funk. Uptown Funk. You ever heard of it? Uh, he's working on his uh, memoir right now, which is really interesting because uh, one of our mutual friends told us that he's really doing it himself, uh, which seems like a something he might not have to do so he wants to do that um and that is as opposed to having uh somebody help him or somebody write the entire thing for him somewhere in between that probably i think somebody yeah, yeah, help yeah. i would i would have somebody help you know a just hand holder yeah, yeah i would i would love that i would love that but yeah um we're excited to talk to we're excited to talk to mark and if and if you're at home keeping score he will complete the circle of millionaire <laughs> white guys in their 40s who produce music <laughs> yeah so we've done it all they're all we had emil we had dave from chromio we have mark ronson andrew wyatt and andrew wyatt is there anyone else i mean there's still people left to uncover but but um, i guess we can do jack antonoff emil emil ronson uh, emil ronson and wyatt are the are is the three-headed monster for my personal taste <gasps> but there's there's also plenty of there's plenty of other other uh great yeah, antonoff looking... if you'll have if you'll have us you're you're yeah. probably not listening you're probably listening to red scare instead but <laughs> in the off chance somebody on on his team is listening we will have him on and we'll play nice jack's busy looking at the kind of thumbing through back issues of the drunken canal as we speak <laughs> um all right let's give let's give ronson let's give ronson a buzz all right how long gone is brought to you by neutrophil as you know you know, hair thinning is quite complicated. Like your skin, hair is a reflection of your health. Uh-oh. And internal factors can impact the way your hair looks, feels, and most importantly, grows. Nutrafol's whole body approach multi-targets underlying root causes like stress, hormone fluctuations, and nutrient gaps for visibly thicker, stronger hair. Go ahead. Give it a tug. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth suppy with over 1 million people seeking thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with considerably less shedding. Thank God. Take the first step <laughs> to visibly thicker, healthier hair for a limited time. Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code how long? All one word. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists and professional stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L. I got Raf on the nut. <laughs> Dot com promo code how long. That's Nutrafol.com <laughs> promo code how long. What did they call or what did you call Ty Dolla Sign? What was the term they used, Jason? Was it... Was it a hook? Hook, hook, lord. hook lord. And I was like, yeah, that, that's exactly what Tidy Dollar Sign is. Yeah, that that was also the one of the early ones, and obviously, I was pretty excited to speak to him. He's, you know, it was it was exciting. And I had this crazy like he had this mic set up, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of the thing, he just got up and started walking through his house. But <laughs> I'm just not. <laughs> that's happened to us several times. Like that. That's yeah, yeah. Five year foreign walked around the house with FaceTime like under his chin, drinking champagne. So it's. I mean, you just got to yeah. do what you got to do. You know. I know. I'm not good at being like the hall monitor like that. Like being like, oh, excuse do you mind sitting down? And probably there's probably a part of me that's like. Actually, I don't have an ego. And as a producer, usually you're working with artists. They're more successful than you. You're always kind of like yeah. putting them first. But at some point, I was just like, uh, can you please? You know, like, <laughs> anyway. 
Please, Mr. Dollar Sign, do you mind just kind of sitting down for a second? I had a hard time wrangling Emil Haney, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I would not. I was like, for a guy who makes money recording music, you'd think you'd know how to stay close to that mi microphone, you know? Yeah, I know. Get on that hog. Is this, is this, where are you? What studio? Is this in New York? Uh, yeah, this is my studio. Okay, but it's not the, it's, 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 it's newish, right? No, I was actually in here. In 2004 to 2008, so when I uh, was doing like Back to Black with Amy and all that stuff, this was what I had. And I had like a, a fledgling record label at the front called Alito. And then I had this as my studio. Then I moved to London and L.A. for a little while, came back 2020, sort of peak pandemic and walked past this building. And uh, it was actually on Amy Winehouse's birthday. And I was like, oh, oh, wow. what the fuck? I'll buzz up. And I mean, I'll be honest. I was probably going to take some exploitative picture for the gram. And I thought <laughs> uh, I, I I buzzed up to um, the owner or whatever. And uh, classic New York character with sort of like a barky mm -hmm. voice. It's like, what? What do you want? You know, what do you want? It was like, <laughs> it's like talking at the drive-in speaker, at the Krusty Burger. <laughs> never quite hear what they're saying. Sure, sure. And, and he, I was like, hi, I don't know if you remember, I was going, I used to be here and I love, and he was, I used to rent the space. Like, what, you want to rent the space? You know, like yelling back. And I came back up and I realized it was one of those thousands of offices that have been abandoned during covid and it was had such a great vibe and memories and nostalgia and and it's just a great room so i took it back over was it a studio in the interim like while you were gone was it still a studio it was a we work yeah. yeah yeah they switched they switched they flipped it kind of while i was gone something called <laughs> serpent sound i never looked it up i think it was probably a jingle house or something like that okay you know? okay jingle house is jingle house in parentheses derogatory when you say that or is that more of a literal <laughs> no i mean I think it what kind of two bit jingle house you're running in here, boy? You know that yeah. kind of vibe. <laughs> no, it, <laughs> it just means a house where they make music for ads. But actually, that just shows how old and dated my terms are because I'm sure that kind of stuff has been made in people's bedrooms for years now. I don't think jingle house is like been you know used since they made like Nabisco cookie commercials. <laughs> Jingle House reminds me of my the the Christmas tree farm that I go to in L.A. called Mister Jingles, which I thought is such a great name for the Christmas tree farm, but Jingle right. House is giving, it's yeah. really Christmas. I've, I've been to a lot of Jingle Houses and they're all like the pool house of a rich guy in Echo Park. <laughs> yeah, It's just a dude who <laughs> smokes weed all day long and is like on revision 35 of a, of a Ritz cracker commercial yeah. that he's going to get a demo fee for and never make any money from. Yeah, that's so maybe this wasn't a jingle. I, I, I got that sounds like a pretty good life to no, me. No, no, I don't no. know why that doesn't sound very bad to me. I think maybe yeah, did you do a lot of jingle work back in the early days? I actually did. There was like a mid period where I, I had made one record, this Nika Costa record that had come and then I had a solo record and it sort of just like tanked. And uh, in the interim, I was DJing, but, you know, I had studios, I had this studio to keep the lights on. So, yeah, I was luckily video directors who knew and fucked with me a little bit like Dave Myers. If he was mm -hmm. doing a Hyundai commercial in Japan, he'd be like, hey, Mark. So just doing really just just soul destroying. Well, that's good. Ever. I mean, yeah. the, well, back then you could make some pretty, pretty good money doing it. Yeah, it's it a little more fucked now. Yeah, yeah. It it was it was just one of those it it kept the lights on for sure. What was mm -hmm. the first what was the first solo record? 
My first solo record was a record called Here Comes the Fuzz on Electric. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay, I remember that. Um, it, with the, it had the song Uwe on it, and uh, th that that I still play, which is fun. But, you know, it was, was kind of a slightly sophomoric uh, DJ record, but there's some stuff on there. I, I... Well, but you you saying it's a flop, is that is that you being a dick to yourself, or is that is that, like, legitimately what we're talking um, about? Well, what do you, like, 17 copies, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> okay sure sure it's not yeah. it's not great you the know, street team great. didn't push it the street team exactly the street team wasn't activated the street team were actually my only friends in the label we would drive <laughs> up and down like from sort of boston to maryland would just be like in the car going it was like the old school days i don't know if they still do that but just go oh, wow. to radio stations in K connecticut the one hip-hop station you meet these djs and do a guest set and then go on to the next one but um i thought that uh, you know, there was some good things that came out of that record. The fact that Uwe, uh, was this minor hit in England is, is the reason I met Lily Allen and everything else that came from that. So it, without that record, I, I wouldn't be here, but it was a flop. <laughs> <laughs> but an important flop in your life trajectory. Yeah, yeah. I, I do remember, uh, I think the label dropped me like a week after the album came out. It's like they'd spent so much money. It was obviously wasn't happening. And uh, I, we had a gig on Craig Kilborn. Remember he did the late show? Of course. Yeah, of course. Of course. The God. And it was with Ghostface and, and Nate Dog. And I was like, <laughs> I, I had to pay for it myself because I was like, there's no way I'm going to not do this one cool thing that I might ever do with Nate Dog and Ghostface. So I remember doing that. Uh, like, uh, I was yeah, independent before it was like a thing i guess well did you like have to pay back any advance or anything or it was just like uh we're gonna cut clean and dry and if you want to do killborn you can buy your own <laughs> jet blue ticket for raekwon and <laughs> yeah and nate dog's car service from long beach exactly <laughs> yeah nate dog demanded an escalade he's scared to fly so he wanted to take an escalade from from long beach to r.i.p to the god r.i.p one of the greats. that's the real hook lord right there that is, he's the og hook lord and that's and i think ty always talks about nate sort of like you know the pinnacle sure that's his og or it must actually be. i did two shows with nate dog there was a second one where we were doing like a random halftime at like a college basketball game which just <laughs> went on um i mm -hmm. told you the street team they had my back so we're about <laughs> what we, we're about to go on sounds like you were gonna need the, their back in a second yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gra like grabs me just as we're about to go on we're like just by the side they're like announcing us he goes how's this one go again and i was like and he just looked at me like with the, like my face went like flush white and he was like oh don't worry this happens with me and dre i, f I forget the words even to like the hits he was saying like i think he said even explosive sometimes he was like don't worry i just have i've been on too many songs and i was like it's it just goes ooh and he's like right right, right. <laughs> it just goes ooh we like the title you got lucky that it was a simple hook for him compared to some of other, his other work yeah I mean, imagine if I was just like, it's the one that goes, when I met you last night. <laughs> he just went out and did. So well, now, oh, that might be his best. Um, well, the, you've reminded me of when I've done a little bit of like DJ sets before uh, a real hip hop performance mm. and it doesn't go well. How many times have you been booed <laughs> while you're DJing before a rapper or does that only happen to me?
like booed like in by my the internal voice in my head or just by actually people externally yeah, well maybe not maybe not physical literal booing and and throwing of tomatoes at you but more so the the vibe in the room is like yeah. get this fucking guy off stage i want to see ghostface yeah it's happened before i can't remember where exactly i think it's also as my career sort of changed a little bit and i become certainly after like my version album i people thought of me as maybe like more of a pop guy mm -hmm. then when i would end up at the uh, hip-hop shows playing i could tell people were just like why is he here a little bit more mm -hmm. but um no i haven't i i can't i know i've been booed but i can't <laughs> like there's no question that i've been booed but i don't recall right now <laughs> i did get booed accepting an award one time like some english the Vodafone Live Music Award because I, I was like this is 2008 and I was at my peak like the closest I ever got to being like a, a pop star and like a maybe the way you would look at mm -hmm. John Mendez or something you know not as right but he I went on stage close yeah and I think I'd beat Paul Weller and Dizzy Rascal and some really oh hell no oh hell no you ain't English enough for that you are not English enough no. for that <laughs> and I and I think I would just like have my like I look back at those <laughs> pictures from that time and I had like it's Beatles mop top and like a big tweed suit I was definitely had just gone all the way and mm -hmm. bought, bought <laughs> some kind of kool-aid or whatever they call it there and i just yes it's funny to watch that but i i, I was i don't recognize <laughs> that person fully uh I've, I've tried to block out the 2008 version of myself as well yeah we all are that's not just you it's just i do remember that haircut though and it was a statement that was a real yeah. statement I, I remember actually amy used to like it the first time she saw me do it she goes why you got a fucking ugly man's haircut she just called it an ugly <laughs> haircut like just like why would you have a a ball like it's not a good or bad it's just a haircut that only ugly guys wear yeah or a seven-year-old you know <laughs> was that but but was this a choice you was there like a hairstylist that talked you into this though like a very you know what i mean like david mallet like a famous hairstylist is like here's what we're gonna do no i think i was just like after being sort of wearing, you know, jeans and Air Maxes and a T-shirt for Supreme most of my life until I was 27, mm. 28, I'd had that first little bit of success with Amy. It was the 60s-ish thing. I was yeah. enamored with the back of those records where people dressed to go to the studio in the suit. And then it all got a little too far, I think. And <laughs> then I just fully went to like, you know, Hamburg in 1963. Like it just was no longer yeah. even what... Okay. You got the bet from going from the Air Maxes to the the Dap Kings so quickly. Yeah. Your body couldn't handle it. Yes. But even the Dap Kings at that point were dressing much cooler and sort of like or like <laughs> the band when there's that when they band was yeah. like recording King Harvest. They were like fair jeans and cool flannel shirts. And I was the one that mm -hmm. was wearing like kind of suits at some point so you would wear a suit to the studio to like sit in the studio all day i would if, um not in the beginning not in the very beginning of the dap king scene because i think i i saw in the amy doc i'm wearing like a blood sugar sex magic like shredded out t-shirt but definitely mm -hmm. 2007 2008 i think when i had my first little bit of success and i probably did one nice photo shoot for gq where somebody put me in those kind of clothes i was like i'll wear this every day from now on you know <laughs>
I mean, kind of, kind of like what Harry Styles started wearing those those plaid Gucci suits all the time. Yeah. It's just like this is just what I do. Yeah, probably. I like the idea of getting dressed for work like that. Except sitting around the studio is 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 one of the you know there's comfort. It in- works for Dave from Chromia. Because <laughs> he he dresses up for the studio too. Well, we did a podcast with him yesterday, and he was wearing a suit oh, for cool. the recording in his hotel room in like a Hyatt in Atlanta, which I was like that. I mean, it was open. He may have been playing it up. But he's the kind of guy who'll wear a suit to go get the newspaper in the morning, you know? Yeah. I appreciate that level of commitment. I just can't do it. Yeah. I, I, while I was working on a record with this English band, the Kaiser Chiefs, during that time, and I remember maybe because I was like living in a hotel and it was like just a laundry day, like I'd run out of nice clothes. I went to the studio in a t shirt and I just noticed like, they were being incredibly unruly and like nobody would listen to me. I was like, what the fuck is the problem today? And they're like, look at you, you're dressed like a fucking skateboarder. Like, we don't need to listen to you like that. I think <laughs> it was like a, they were sort of clowning around, but there was this thing of, I guess, keeping like five lively lads from Leeds in line. It helps to be dressed like a Some good literation. What was, there. The, what was the Kaiser Chiefs look? I mean, I remember the band, but I can't place the look. They were like floofy and poofy British lads. They I were, guess? Yeah, not as floofy poofy. They were just because like <laughs> Leeds, they were just a bit more like straight lace, like British indie rockers, like sort of post strokes, you know, skinny jeans and stuff. Okay. It's not that dissimilar to Arctic Monkeys. They were just tall okay so seeing seeing you wearing just a t-shirt it was like doogie hauser and street clothes he loses all of his authority yeah 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 definitely (laughs) i (laughs) that (laughs) kaiser chiefs thing i was thinking about razor light recently and yes how they had like two really great songs and no one cared in this country but their look that his look was so extreme yeah and i i just the deep v with the skinny star scarf and the skinny jeans yeah it, and then you were having sex with the most beautiful women in the world yeah is really tough for me to compute at this age who was he having sex with i mean he was a legendary, like Kirsten Dunst. I know for a time he had a whole he had a whole run there. Oh, I remember this fucking superstar. I mean, they were playing arenas in England. They were selling uh, a million. They have an album that sold a million copies in England, which is like thirty million copies here or something. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I because I don't know. They that. did not cross over at all. Like some of those bands oh. did, most didn't, but they like really the 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 kind of gulf between their popularity there and here is yeah. was cr- staggering it was crazy you would go and see a band that had just played like the o2 arena in london at bowery ballroom or something you know it was always <laughs> yeah. that, that kind of vibe. I, I i think that's i mean i guess i don't know if that still exists in the same way just because of the internet i mean a little bit but not really yeah there's still things that don't travel in the same way there's probably like you know things like yeah, but maybe rock just isn't kind of what it was. And it's it's crazy now, like, when I see kids sitting on a stoop listening to music from YouTube on their phones or something, like, I hear so much UK hip-hop, like, it blows my mind. Like, Central mm. is, like, as much as I'm hearing, like, anything else, I think that, that UK hip-hop has sort of really changed that divide as well. Well, UK mm. hip-hop feels cool. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't really want to listen to it, but it feels cool and like it's it's different enough. Right. Um but I think the the drill the, like the rise of drill also has kind of like flattened it all because it all sounds pretty similar. 
Right. But in a good way. I mean, the drum beat's the same on every song. I can live with that, but it's not my favorite. So you you don't DJ as much as you used to. What do you, you say, DJ, do a DJ set maybe quarterly or something like that? No, I still DJ a, a lot, but it's just for random shit. Like I DJed last night at this party for this charity and it was at the box and common and black thought performed before you know it was like that kind of shit i mean i played for a track at public records actually with dave i think as well like uh last month i love it i just go through this crazy existential crisis before because i'm i'm nowhere near like i was when i was playing five nights a week and i know everything that's good and i know how to work it into my set and i definitely Mm -hmm. want ever want to be that old guy who's just playing the throwback set so it's i you know and every time before i dj i like frantically text seven djs that i know <laughs> cross one to a track like what's working what's popping and try and work in at least three or four of those songs but i love it like it's just so crazy i think that more than anything that is that is the one thing that i'll be maybe doing till i die i mean i think about it, i look around like Someone like Questlove, who, you know, is now an Oscar winning documentarian and basically like mm-hmm. a cultural figurehead. And I'm like, he's taking gigs that I turn down sometimes and vice versa. I'm like, <laughs> why is he still doing that shit? I'm like, oh, because he's like me. There's just something that we love about playing music. It could be a fucking Thanksgiving night party with 30 people in there or something. It's just mm-hmm. I still do love it. Yeah. Well, I I, I was asking or wondering because uh I'm I'm doing a little bit less DJing nowadays. It comes up every once in a while, but when it is time to prepare your set, do you get excited or do you get does it feel like a chore? Yeah. I have to get excited. So I uh when I did the thing of public records, like I you know, I was spending August upstate with my wife and daughter. We have a place and I took the little controller, like a, a little pioneer controller as I and like locked myself in the shed for like a week and Serato's introduced this new stem software where you can do interesting mm-hmm. stuff and break down stems. And I and I I made myself work out a new set. I was like, I'm not gonna rely on the old tricks and all that shit. So uh I I I have to make myself excited about it, even if it's only for me. Like the first two records have to be something I've never done before, some interesting mix. But mm-hmm. uh other than that, other otherwise that's when I start to feel like a fraud. And and I and I hate myself while I'm doing it. You boo yourself right. internally in, in that case. Yeah, it's like like to get up and play like Uptown Funk or or even like <laughs> Late Night Feelings. All I imagine is just like 300 people. Like really, three years. That's what you have to show for yourself. <laughs> or in the case of Uptown Funk, six years. So I have this, and it's that's not usually the case. People are kind of usually psyched to hear the song but i I, in my mind i have to like be constantly doing some kind of exciting blend mix shit live whatever it is to to keep it fresh i gotta use ai technology to get this trina vocal isolated so i could say (laughs) lick my pussy on my crack over a whole new song actually that is literally the third song in my set and it's kia not it never it never leaves my crates but uh, actually, yeah, I think it was putting it over uh, Hold On, I'm Coming by Bobby Bird, like the old JB's <laughs> break. And it was like, and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People went nuts. <laughs> people people yeah, went absolutely nuts. nuts. Okay. <laughs> so there was a little bit of wordplay yeah. with 
with Atrina, my neck and my back, and a coming at the same time. That's true. Or was that just a happy accident? That that was a very happy accident. It's, it's Kia, by the way. Kia is my neck, my back. Oh, that's right. But um, K H I A. Yeah. Was that her? That was her only kind of big hit, right? Yeah. Like it's so crazy that that song is like just is the equivalent of like what Eric B as president was when I started DJing. That seems to just have traversed <laughs> time and age. People just love that song. Paving the way for a sexy red in 2023, I would say. Yeah. Actually, I was DJing. I was DJing uh, this Gucci party. Okay, so Ronson be DJing, okay? Ronson be DJing yeah. on the low. I was DJing two, three weeks ago, and this uh, this guy came up to me and was like, like, oh, you're going to play Sexy Red, right? And I suddenly had, I had had this set in my mind that was going to kill it. And it's just him saying this one thing triggered this entire, like, spiraling out of control. I was like, I, I was like running around, like trying to find the one Wi-Fi spot in this giant, like, warehouse where having the party so I could download Sexy Red. And then I actually opened up iTunes. I had to go back and I was like, wait, which Sexy Red song is it? And it was. I think there's only one. It, so I think you're probably. No, no, there's there's a few now. Are, oh, okay. It turned out it was Pound Town, and it and it's it, Pound Town. And I was grateful to him because it really went off well. But at first, I I think I obviously knew Sexy Red was, but I felt like um. How does that song go again, Mark? You yeah. got a few <laughs> few bars. Um, just give us a few bars. The way the guy, the way that uh, he was like, Sexy Red, I felt like that scene and it's either Sleepless in Seattle or one of those like Tom Hanks films where he's like a widow, a widower, and, mm -hmm. and he's out with Rob Reiner having brunch and he's like, well, I haven't dated in a while. He's like, it's different now. You got to be ready. And it's like, you got to split the tab and there's tiramisu and he's like, what's, what's tiramisu? And then Rob Reiner starts talking about something else and at the very end, he's like... You got to tell me what tiramisu is because someone's some girl's going to ask me to do that to her and I won't know what it is. <laughs> I feel like that's what I felt like when he said sexy red. I was like, what's sexy red? <laughs> yes, I'll totally play that song that I have uh, downloaded <laughs> with my cue points set already. But that, but there's something about a, a request where we've all received hundreds of, of terrible requests over the years and you can be nice or be mean or laugh at them or whatever. And then some people ask for a song with such a specific type of energy that you just play it because it's like I, I I was DJing some a random wedding and this girl came up and she's like play city girls blah 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 and I was like this not really the vibe you know it's like a like a 45 you know vinyl sexy cute yeah. DJ set and the way she said it to me I was like fuck it I'll put it on and the place just exploded yeah. and she looked yeah. at me and was just like yeah see I, I'm actually yeah I'm it's funny because it's I'm writing a book about DJing and the night, specifically about the '90s in in New York. And this sounds very high-minded. I do not believe I'm the same level of writer, but it's I'm try the, the sort of in the way that Bourdain wrote for chefs, writing about DJs and what mm -hmm. it was, and especially in that era. Looking back at Bourdain stuff, it wasn't that high-minded, but I know what you mean. He was a he was a good a, writer. Such a fucking good writer. Yeah, yeah, very good writer. But I, I there's something about it. it's very New York in the energy, and it's just like. Mm -hmm insider baseball talk a little bit and whatever but there's a lot about that about like that that person that comes to requests and the psychology of djs and why we do the shit as well as just like what the clubs were like but definitely there's a whole thing about the requests and like coming up and like standing there drunk on power <laughs> as you watch the club because they've all gone crazy to your song you know how is the how is the book like organized 
each chapter is a is a club night so it's a different party some of them were successful some of them were not so really oh so it's just like you know but it's just a way to talk about all the different shit like um so where do we start and where do we like end we got sway we got sway on mondays apt good, man? Come on. what do we like what no, I, tonight? I think this ends very succinctly like 2000 like new year's 99 because i just wanted to keep it to the oh 90, to the 90s so okay. it starts actually with raves that i went to like yeah. nassau uh and then it goes up to I, i'm not sure because i'm not quite there yet but it goes through like life and you know it's it covers everything because it was the moment that puffy and jay came into new york and really flipped what the social hierarchy of the scene was like when i started djing this club called life mm -hmm. uh it started to come down and uh and i remember like the club owners who was kind of vaguely or not so vaguely racist would be like ah because i was playing hip-hop they'd be like mark ronson his brand of music is uh is upsetting the uh the makeup of our <laughs> vip room or whatever and then uh a year later they're just like mr carter this way please you know <laughs> that, like that was exactly what was happening in new york so it's kind of a yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's I'm I'm in the middle of it right now. So you're saying Puffy is one of your sons? Huh? <laughs> I am I am he, and he is me. Um, <laughs> there's like a I can't find it anywhere. I can't even find it on YouTube. But there was this thing where Puffy and Jay are sort of having like a faux argument about who discovered me, which I thought was very sweet. But I can't oh. I can't find it because Puffy really did take me sort of like around the world and dj all his album release parties whenever it was like the first time i got to dj in london even though i was born there and then mm -hmm. uh and then i would do a lot of stuff around the rock la familia blueprint era djing for jay as well you gotta find that you gotta find that. you gotta find that video you know i think they've taken it down because they don't care anymore but um yeah <laughs> they let their account expire they just you didn't. should um i should send you a copy of, of this comedian moshe kesher he he has a book that's coming oh, yeah, out I next year you. but um he has a chapter on on raves and djing and and club promoting in in the 90s in san francisco oh. i think you would get some get some good uh book writing inspo on there unless your book is already done no it's time halfway through and i'm reading every memoir that exists like i'm having so i've never read so much i find that if I don't keep reading, I, like I have to read as I fall asleep to wake up excited to write. It's actually kind of what what oh, what memoirs have have blown the roof off. What has been the most John Blaze memoir as of late? <laughs> yeah, I, I've yeah. been I've been reading so many that I probably forgot them all. But all all the classics, obviously, Kitchen Confidential. There's this amazing book. Mary by Mary Cantwell from the 50s called Manhattan when I was young or rather she wrote it in the 90s but about she was this Peggy Elizabeth Moss mm -hmm. type character from Mad Men who came up in the first wave of women who went from being sort of you know receptionists and secretaries to being editorial mm -hmm. and that kind of thing and it's just like it's it's just she talks so beautifully every address to her in New York is like a ghost is like a living ghost and that's what a lot of these clubs and these buildings are as well mm -hmm. like none of them are there anymore so that's sort of an inspiration I, there's actually like this amazing I think it's a little controversial now but this book of essays called air guitar by David Hinckley or yeah yeah I know air guitar and what's it about 
it's a series of pop culture essays. It was the I read it because in the back of Mary Carr's book called How to Write a Memoir, she just has a bibliography of three hundred books that you should read. So that's just what mm. I, what I started going through. But it's just a series of pop culture essays, some of them biographical. But he was obviously incredibly smart and a little acerbic. Uh, all the all the forties and fifties ones, like you know, the obvious boy's life and that kind of stuff. But there's so much good shit. I can't remember. That is interesting to know, though. You got to read to get excited to write. Yeah, because it's it's sort of like it, I didn't study English or creative writing or anything, so I have to see like a a little device or turn of phrase that's inspiring and like write it down so I have something to like go off to the races the next morning. Are you going to, are you going somewhere and like punching the time card every day and getting five hours of writing done? Yes, I am. That's what I'm doing right now. So I started writing this book about a year and a half ago and then Barbie came along and originally it was supposed to be two songs and it ended up being uh, a year long project. Mm -hmm. So now I've just gone back into it sort of a month ago and you know some of this stuff is 30 years ago i've done drugs and drank and sort of put holes in the memory parts of my brain so <laughs> it's, it's a lot of talking and reconnecting with people from that era even if it's just for mm. little color side stories and stuff like that but it's been kind of that that in itself has been great mm -hmm. And remembering why I love DJing so much as well. Uh, so um, yeah. your publisher was okay with pushing the deadline back because of Barbie, I'm sure. Yes, I was very like polite and informed. You didn't have to give any money back or anything. It was it was fine. On the cover of the book, it now has to say Barbie's Mark Ronson, but you know, compromise <laughs> yeah, is a compromise. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The cover's gonna be pink. There's no really that's a non-starter here. <laughs> I know you had some ideas, Mark, but we've kind of <laughs> thought of our own. If we could present some, that'd be great. Yeah. You know, we want it just to be about. We love the 90s and then 2023. Is there a way to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. How can we kind of connect these two? Because I think it would really work. Work Amy into the 90s as well, if you can, please. <laughs> yeah, what can and, we do? And the what book, we, we think do? Dance the Night is a great title because it really just says everything about the book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think, though, it leads... It's nice, though, because I, I... And I've seen this with a few... Actually, Moby did this with, with his memoir. It's like... You stop the first one at a certain point to leave it open for the second one to cover kind of the the back. Yeah, half. well, I think that some people would probably say like, "Wait, he's writing a book, but it's about like before he was famous, or there's no Amy stories, whatever it is, you know." Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. So if the book is okay, it would be lovely. Like maybe do another one, but that that wasn't the point of this. It was just because I just. I don't know. I was thinking so much about that era and I just wanted to get it down. It's an important enough era and time that it should be recorded for yeah, posterity. It's not it's not documented in other ways like camera phones and and I think also I mean listen it's just midnight in Paris syndrome but I I would have kids come up to me like 22 year old kids come up to me at like in LA at a whatever some dinner and just be like dude you were in New York in the 90s that's crazy I can't believe it <laughs> like, nobody in the 90s the 90s didn't even sound iconic like the 80s you know everything so so I, I just I thought you know somebody might beat me to it by the time I finish but nobody's really written that sort of like psychology of DJs and why people do it and why do people even gather to to dance like that sounds very like mm. it's not a just about hokey community but but there's other bigger things at play oh definitely well i'm sure other people have tried to but i can't think of any of them 
Maybe Dead Mouse got a book deal too. Just Ski might be writing something. So yeah. you better hurry up. Yeah. <laughs> you go, yeah, hurry up because the, the, the clock yeah. is ticking. That's exciting. Yeah. You you did a show recently, or a live performance in Los Angeles with a couple previous guests of ours, John Early, Tim Heidecker. Um, and you, I, I noticed you were on the bill and you posted it saying like, I don't know exactly what I'm going to be doing at this comedy show. So two questions. What did you do and why was your name billed so low? <laughs> on the list of talent they promised that it was alphabetical but i have no idea mm, okay. john john early ever since his netflix special i've been such a fan bordering on like stalker of his that yeah <laughs> he just knows that i'll basically do anything that he asks so all right be careful be careful be careful but yes mm -hmm. of course uh, and then uh he's got you wrapped around his finger definitely and then uh 2017 when he did a, a show around the whatever that comedy festival that happens downtown like i slept like a giant fender Rhodes electric piano so i could play who can i run to the song he performed like like basically instrumentally underneath his entire show like i i think <laughs> oh my god most so this goes back this is commitment this goes back i think a lot of musicians i know i mean andrew wyatt it, like we're sort of either comedy freaks or sports freaks you know there's like and they're not even exclusive so john early I, I love and he texted me and i just happened to be in la that night and i said yeah whatever whatever you need okay so what, so, did, so you what do? did you do yeah so what did you do oh yeah good 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 question you did a tight 15 uh no i uh i brought my he was like maybe you could just dj under the 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 auction and help me do the auction so i was like okay so he sent me about the list of auction items and one of them was a turntable and i was like great carlin carlin bailey ray and uh whatever else and we just uh i dj'd under the auction it was very i said about seven words but i was just sort of there to support when you say under the auction you mean you're just kind of providing a soft soundtrack while the auction happens a soft sound bed and then occasionally you know if i played something he found exciting he would stop and have a dance number mm -hmm. yeah 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 you pick yeah. the songs not him I, I pick the songs yeah i know he has a lot of strong feelings about music so i wasn't sure if he was going to be control freak about that yeah no he does i've dj'd a lot of stuff like you know uh jackie novak's get on your knees show which i saw five times you know like that jackie novak yeah. kate berlant john early mm -hmm. comedy triangle like i've been a big fan of theirs and i dj'd you know the opening of jackie's show and whatever else like oh, and, and kate and Kate's show, actually, too. Kate's going to be our guest for our live show in uh, at the El Rey in November. Tickets still available, guys. <laughs> <laughs> what is the... I did... But I know we got off of it, but like the the writing a book is really hard. Yes. And I feel like... I feel like writing music is hard, but I feel like you kind of... I don't... It, it feels so different to me. And I, I can't... I, I You've struggled at points, I'm sure, with the book. A lot. I was struggling an hour ago. Like I, it's. I have to. <laughs> I have to. I have such crazy giant poster boards of like storyboarding and like things by theme and chronological events and more the thematic things and more emotional things like color coded. And then because the chapters are, are not just chronological and memoir, like they're they're sort of umbrellas to fit in some of these things. Mm. Go anywhere. I then have a separate poster board where i actually storyboard like i can't remember who came my english editor uk editor 
came in the other day and you know she's like penguin she has a lot of great writers i'm imagining that she deals with they're mm -hmm. certainly more professional than me and she looked at my boy and she was like i've never seen any shit like this she would just <laughs> meant like in the way that it was like not necessarily Arranged. ocd but just in this kind of um she was like, this book is about DJ clubs? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hold, hold, hold on. Um, but, but yeah, I have to because I have to, I have to keep it from just like sprawling out of my control. So, uh, it, and then writing is, is hard. Like, cause I just, I, the one thing I keep asking myself in the same way that I would when I was, when I'd be writing a song would just be like, who the fuck cares like as soon as you start writing something you're like who is this for why does anyone care what am i offering that they can't get anywhere else i'm always kind of thinking about that and and how am i doing something that only relates to my particular skill set not what anybody else could be doing so i think i'm very i'm as tough on myself and as exacting as i would be while working on music but um it's just a different thing and it's something i'm not as good at well, but but have you ever written a song or a paragraph or a page where the opposite happens and you, you finish writing that first verse or you get the melody down or you get the chapter down and then you just start writing your Grammy acceptance speech <laughs> because you know that this one That's is it. the one? Got him. <laughs> and, then you, and then you never have to finish that song or that chapter again because you've already <laughs> mentally completed the cycle of of being the best writer of all time no there's nothing nothing in the book has felt remotely like that yet but i okay I, <laughs> we'll get there i am excited <laughs> about it i mean i do come here in the morning slightly with trepidation because i just know it's going to be work but i i do come excited like in the way that i've felt when i've gone to the studio to make a re be working on a record and i do believe in that like Stephen King sort of like five hours a day locked in a closet somewhere. If I don't do that and turn the internet off, then nothing happens. You listen to music? No, I can't. I sometimes listen to songs to remember the timeline and the chronology. I'm like, oh yeah, OC time's up. Now I remember what club that was or whatever it is, you know? <laughs> Uh -huh. But no, I don't. I can't listen to music. Chapter fourteen: The Grave Diggers. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> you know what's so crazy? I, I just wrote about that because I, <laughs> I just got my MPC right now at this particular time in the in the story, and I was just making these like bad, bad RZA wanna beats. You know, like mm -hmm. I, I definitely highly Grave Diggers influence. Everything was like a sample from Rosemary's Baby soundtrack, like very hardcore. So it's weird mm -hmm. that you bring that up. I would love to hear some of your early horror core work, Mark Ronson. I don't know where it is on it. <laughs> it's on a it's on a, a cursed zip drive. Zip, I was going to say a zip disc <laughs> somewhere, a purple zip disc, nice thick one. I mean, that's that's amazing. Hopefully, Chris and I will also write a book one day. I don't know what it will be about. Right? Would you write it together, or are you would you, are you saying you're right? Some... I don't think so. I don't think so. But we both do a little bit of writing. We have different interest areas, a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Jason's focused on mostly food, which is something he's very good at. Whereas I'm not interested in that. I'm more interested in culture as as like a whole and kind of how we view it. I guess is what I, I would say. I'm re I'm reading this book right now that you might know. It's it's somebody it's by somebody green about uh, talking to really smart people about basketball. I know what you're talking. He's about. He's just upset. He's a basketball journalist from the Bay Area who's written about you know uh, the Warriors and but he 
gets mathematicians and all these people and it's mm. Naismith all the way up because I, I am oh, wow i know you're a basketball head big basketball head and, and it's just fun he just obviously loves it so much and he's trying to write about basketball in a, in a, in a funny and intelligent way that n nobody has before so i was kind of enjoying that I'm, I'm trying to do that about bad restaurants right now <laughs> are you really well um, uh, yeah i'm trying to be a high iq eater i guess Oh, I thought you were writing a, a book about just bad restaurants. Well, that's that's sort of the 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 eternal issue with food criticism or writing about food, where it's sort of looked down upon to write negatively about restaurants because it's such a right. you know all the reasons hard business and because you because because you wield too much power, like the bar stool pizza guy or something who can just like yeah he's <laughs> he's the day he's the Dave he's the Dave Portnoy of like middling martini restaurants. I personally don't yield that power, but other people might if you know if somebody spends you know twenty years of their life saving up every penny and they get all these favors and open up a restaurant and you know a, a food reviewer from the la times or the new york times gives it a bad review yeah it closes in a week the staff are, are unemployed it's a sad scene sorry you know? but that's the cost that's the cost of playing the game i i can't like that's just what you that's just how but it then works. the other the devil on my shoulder agrees with chris and also a good critic will be able to tell lead somebody here's what you should be doing in my opinion to improve your business or to improve your life. That's a very magnanimous approach to writing it. And one that I wish Pitchfork had taken more with my career. <laughs> Does this guy have kids? You know, that was, that was never asked. Have you tangled? I didn't know you had tangled with Pitchfork like that. Is oh. this a thorn in your side? I think everyone's got a, a, a Pitchfork scar on them somewhere if you've been in the music business. Sure. I think that, uh, I think when I came out, they sort of, they love the certain things, and then I don't know. They did it. Who cares? <laughs> Sounds like Mark got a four point three. Yeah, he said, "Look, as long as you didn't get the pissing monkey, you're doing you're doing okay." <laughs> Never forget. Do you, the pissing do you remember monkey. the pissing monkey? No, for the Jet album, they gave the. Oh wow! It was just it was just it's just an image, or maybe it was like a GIF because it was like a different time, you know. And it's just a pissing monkey. <laughs> wow, so good. No, you you late night feelings got a seven point two, bro. That's we'll 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 take that. Yeah, that, we'll that was that. okay. I got a best in music. They weren't too keen on the Barbie thing, but I sure, what sure, happens sure. is when they write about me and they decide I feel like it was a bit like the enemy, like in the in the two thousands that I tangle with a lot. I feel like there's like a chalkboard with like artists we like mm -hmm. and artists we don't like. And if it's an artist we don't like totally we, we need to be a little extra, you know. Uh but um this is sort of linked to that, but you were talking about writing about restaurants and not wanting to shut them down. And it, it, I, in my brief dalliance of music journalism, because I always loved music journalism, I thought maybe that's what I wanted to do when I was sort of coming out of high school. And I started to write for some hip hop scenes uh, on the go. Uh, I think I wrote a couple of reviews for Ego Trip. And I would write a sort of I didn't have in my heart to be nasty, but I write a middling review about a brand Nubian record. And then like 
they would be there at the club on Saturday where I was DJing and I was just like, I'm going to get my ass beat or something. Like, I don't have the heart. That's what I was going to say. There's a little more risk involved in music journalism in that era than there is in Jason. You start to, kind of to realize why. Giving some, Noma six. You know, it's not risky. Some critics might have a nom de plume instead of just yes, your name. Yes, yes. You know? Yeah. I'd love to see you DJing with like a, a low mesh hat, sunglasses on because you don't you don't want brand Nubian to whip your ass in the booth. Yeah. <laughs> trying to lay low yeah well i think it is the, the pitchfork thing is only interesting to me because i we're all of us of a similar age and now i feel like all of these outlets that used to be like indie quote unquote or like focused on a certain certain genre of music now are weighing in on the barbie soundtrack olivia rodrigo where it used to be like right. animal collective and pavement and i'm just like i don't no, we've like intellectualized pop music to this point where I'm like, I think it might just be good. Like it's it's all good. Like Olivia right. Rodrigo is just good, guys. It's, well, they it's didn't fine. have to back when they didn't have to pay writers and stuff. But now with all this bullshit, <laughs> they got to yeah, pay everyone. And different. now you have to write about you know Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah. Taylor Swift's a great example. I mean, obviously, instead of Juju, she's like dipped her toe in some of that stuff, like working with the Destner, you know, all that shit. But and Bonnie yeah. Bear or whatever. But like. The Taylor Swift getting reviewed on like stereo gum is kind of fucking crazy. <laughs> like when you really think yeah. about it, you know? Yeah, that is true. Like it's just different now. It's it's also, I think, just cool and acceptable to like everything where that used to not be the case either. Yeah. Like it's it's considered more like well-rounded to like like everything and know about everything, um, which was not the case when we were growing no. up. No, and and the niche stuff is just such a tiny niche now. Like no one can insist on talking about that shit anyway, and there really probably isn't enough of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are. There's twelve thousand releases every Friday. But, I mean, I was you know. I was doing this today. I see like somebody post about you know, there's all this new emo, you know, quote unquote, as it's coming out, and it's like supposed to be in the cool emo genre like what i grew up with what i liked and i listened to it and i'm just like this is fucking awful like it's awful <laughs> but it's been fully fetishized right. because it's like something that hasn't existed in kind of like the like current current time so it's like these yeah. like yeah. dorks from florida just like not doing it right you know what i'm saying but right. it's like right. but this is this has happened generation to generation of you know when we're you know, listening to bands like Jet trying to emulate 60s and 70s bands. And we're just like, this is this sounds like a monkey trying to piss in his own mouth. But it worked. Hey, Jet, Jet's rich. It worked for Jet. <laughs> At least one of those guys has got a closet full of leather jackets. That's true. Sure. And That's a true. house in coma. Yes. I know. Jet does not have a house no 100 percent. they were because they were also yeah. australian Banger. you know so they did like richard branson definitely has them over to the crib for some aperitivo yeah they're probably legend they're probably legends in australia they were on the same label the same guy who did my first record uh, signed them and i remember him playing it for me and even though i wasn't even a very well-versed rock guy i heard the drum beat right away and i was like oh but isn't that <laughs> lust for life like aren't kids gonna know and he's like just looked at me and he's like kids don't know lust for life like, he, <laughs> like you might know that but yeah, it's a good exactly what we're <laughs> yeah. talking about. And do you know do you know do you know the, the urban myth or legend that where, where Lust for Life comes from? It was because they were hanging out Iggy and 
David Bowie in Berlin. And the only American show that I think they could get was George of the Jungle. And it started off with that. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, oh yeah. wow. I've never, no, I've never heard that. Like that. So speaking about ripping off nine-year-old people's taste, like that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that really yeah. is straight there. Nothing new did, under the did sun. You, uh, did you work with Bowie before he died? I never worked with him. I never had much contact with him. I, I, I we, when I was playing with Jimmy Fallon in the early 2000s, we opened for the Strokes, and I remember standing next to him this close side of stage watching the Strokes and just being like, "This." Hold is on, crazy. hold on, bro, hold on. You, you were were you in Jimmy Fallon's band? Jimmy Fallon, <laughs> the Strokes, 2002. Yeah. So this is all. This is this is a moment in time, and it smells like cocaine. <laughs> yeah. It really did. <laughs> uh, international bar and all of it, but I think that uh, yeah, I Jimmy Fallon. I produced that album for him, The Bathroom Wall, and it, we'd just come off doing the Nika Costa record, and people were like, oh, who are these new producers? And uh, I thought Jimmy was funny. He wanted to make a, a interesting record. And when it was time to go tour, I said, oh, I could get you this great band. He's like, no, the band has to suck or it'll be bad. So I was like, okay, can I play? So I went on a tour with him playing bass, and we opened this Mooney Suzuki, Us, then The Strokes for like two weeks at the end of the is this it like, that's insane North that's Atlantic insane tour. like we played roseland the night before thanksgiving in new york you know how magical that night is in new york. yeah like, for sure the yeah. whole night, night before thanksgiving the biggest bar and club night of the year every year i don't need to tell you is this it? Is it? yeah yeah, yeah, I didn't, yeah. I actually that's the highest know. grossing bar and club night no no year. no no it's it's because everybody goes home to see their family and wants yeah. to party oh yeah, you yeah, know? yeah but in yeah. new york it's a little different yeah yeah man so That's i mean cool. just yeah I, I can only imagine the energy of that is this it tour era playing a venue as small as the roseland ballroom with jimmy fallon at the height of snl and you yeah mooney suzuki on there for icing on the cake but <laughs> mooney suzuki was on every strokes tour i feel like it's <laughs> it's uh what's his name adam what's his name I always forget moldy peaches. Yeah, it was moldy Green. peaches, Mooney Suzuki, yeah. mm -hmm. and I'm like, I've never, I've still to this day never heard any music from either of those artists. <laughs> I don't think. No, it was. I don't think it was fucking amazing. I was a pretty a huge Strokes fan. We would sit and watch at the end of every show, but I wasn't known yet. And they would kind of like I now I friends with a lot of them. They're such lovely guys, but there was a, like a hierarchy. I was just the bassist. They would hang out with Jimmy, grab Jimmy into their dressing room, and I'd just kind of wait for any kind of like flakes of cocaine that drifted out of there <laughs> <laughs> guys guys yeah. i want some <laughs> but that night uh jack black got up on stage and we did do they know it's christmas like he came up with oh, wow. these guests so there was like and we didn't have a keyboard player so it was up to me the bass player to go doom 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 it was ridiculously stupid but it was uh, did you guys practice that or did you know how to do that no we practiced we we okay we practiced we had sound check i was gonna say that's that's tough to pull that out of your ass you I, I wish that things yeah. like that could happen in new york again nowadays it's so hard to to yeah. pull it off and you could never have it be open to the public and you'd have to have a brand pay for the whole thing and you can't just do a show because it's going to be awesome right. and then that's it you know right. well it's look it's presented by heineken i don't see a problem with that i mean i don't i don't see the big deal it was just a stroke state on their tour i guess you know they did two nights so it wasn't, um yeah. what is i, I did want to ask you about fatherhood because i know it's like pretty new for you how new is it by the way 10 months about 
Mazel tov. And you're, uh, so is it, has it changed your approach to like work or your priorities at all? Or is it just kind of like, this is my life now? No, it's, it's, I mean, it is uh, all the corny cliche shit. Like at five to six, like I'm on my bicycle so fast heading home to like make bath time. Like I, I you know, I'm yeah. gone in the day working and stuff, stuff like that. But like I'm up at 6.15 with her and like, I just, I love it. I love. I took her to a music class in Washington Square Park today, and I was just kind of like sitting. And the the teacher's a sweet woman, like playing jangly, like and in the taxi ride. And I'm just sitting there. And she's like, "Dad, like you get involved too, and like you just have to take any of your cool, like dad, whatever vibe, like <laughs> walking by Washington Square." And I'm just feeling the shaker, like in the taxi ride, <laughs> in the taxi ride. Um, and it's just. It's just Does the teacher know that you come from a musical background at all or is it just like hey you I it was just dad pick up a shaker you know I like that I, I like that I don't know I like that was. So it's it's been humbling but but you said <laughs> ride the bicycle are you are you city bike boys or or what are we pushing No I just have I have a trek I have a trek that's just like you know my it's a 7 minute ride from my house it's Okay good, yeah You wear a helmet I do wear a helmet. That's what fa fatherhood has changed him. He's a pussy now. He Father, wears a helmet. That is it. That is it. I was leaving the house and this was two days after she was born and she was in the NICU for the first couple of weeks. But her, my sister-in-law was staying with me and I was riding out. She goes, where, where are you going? And I was like, uh, ride my bike. She goes, you got a daughter, put a helmet on. And I just, I've never thought it like, it, I just like, I care too much about how I do my hair. Like, what yeah, the I fuck? Mean, sure. Covering that hair up on a bike ride feels inhumane, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm surprised you're able to do I've that. Talked to, I've talked about it before. I started, I used to ride my bike a lot. I don't as much anymore in LA because it's kind of very risky for your life. Different. Yeah, definitely. And I started wearing a helmet a few years ago. And the way that people look at you when you're not wearing a helmet versus when you're wearing a helmet. Did you experience a change in that at all? Maybe it's different for Manhattan. But to me, like people looked at you in a way where like, oh, this guy cares about his life. He doesn't want to die. I respect that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like no girls look at you anymore when you're wearing sure, a helmet. Sure, sure. You have, like, to me, it was the opposite. Really? The women, when no helmet, I was giving maybe too much bad boy. I don't want to start a family with this person. Helmet on, oh. put, a, put a baby in me was what I was experiencing. Oh. That could have just all been in my head. I think it was, uh, but that's, <laughs> that's a better... I mean, you know, by that, and large, putting a helmet on is is a panty upper, not a panty dropper. I would one would one would assume so. Definitely not. You don't have to comment on that, Mark. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I wouldn't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Chris, let's let's close it out with a sync talk. What do you say? Yeah, I mean, you're you're. I'm sure you've had many in your in your time, but on the show, we often ask musicians about a sync that kind of changed their trajectory a little bit a sync story Mo monetarily for the better or for the worse Mon monetarily usually is what we're looking for and we like to hear numbers yeah <laughs> okay not a, not approximations i mean honestly i think i've got to go back to the dave myers when he hired me to do a remix of aiko aiko for a hyundai commercial strictly in japan only because i was flat broke and had no idea how i was going to pay the rent for the studio the next month so it really it wasn't like a it was probably 20 grand, but it changed my it life. It was 20,000 you needed desperately. Yeah. And there was a, he also threw me around the same time, like a gap commercial where I had to remix Fresh by Cool and the Gang. Like, I, I, I have no ego about that shit. Honestly, if someone asked me to do that tomorrow, I mean, it's maybe not the most fun thing in the world, but I, there's a weird part of me that still loves 
like that DJ mentality, like, oh, a remix, that's fun. Like the same reason why I love a fucking wedding set as a DJ, you know, like mm. a corny ass. Well, you used to do those parties with um, with Harley, right? Where you guys would kind of do like like sweet love song kind of doo-wop wedding kind of sets, right? No, it was more, it was called Club Heartbreak. And that was just the theme when I was working on the Late Night Feelings record that was just like sad bangers. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was like, it, yeah, that was just a bit of a conceptual thing. I remember I went to one of those in Toronto during TIFF. Maybe four or five years ago. Right, right. Well, it's just... It was good. I thought it was a heartfelt set to you. It sounded like a wedding. So what can you really say? (laughs) I was not using wedding set as a derogatory term, but more so emotional, uplifting... Yes, I played Pinoche time after time, okay? Come on. Well, I mean, that's part of the job. It was more of a Phil Spector wall of sound kind of... Yeah, minor chord, but uplifting energy. Oh, really? or, I was I was fucked up clearly because I don't remember any of it. Maybe some Sade. I think you no. Know, I think it was like anything from like Common Go to like Outcast Can't Wait to like Dream Fleetwood Mac before it became like a TikTok. Not that it wasn't sure, a hit sure. before TikTok, but <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. this band Fleetwood Mac was kind of toiling in the underground, and then TikTok came along, kind of blew their shit up, changed their lives. Thundercat, them changes like that to me is the ultimate mm. example. Like a of like a sad banger. It's like a song that's just like you just know that came from a broken heart, but it's like they're fun to play in a row. Well, speaking of bangers and TikTok, I, I just recently read a, a news piece on you. Mark Ronson and Miley Cyrus, Nothing Breaks Like a Heart, surpasses Ariana Grande's Santa Tell Me and becomes the 728th most streamed song on Spotify of all time. How how often do weird things like that happen to you or like come across your desk where you're like, hmm. Because that's, that's because of TikTok, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, I think it's because of TikTok. Actually, well, no, that song was a huge song everywhere except for America. So, like, it was like a number yeah. one record around the world just didn't pop off here. But TikTok probably helped push it that way here. And then, uh, yeah, there's weird facts. I mean, like, the Ken stuff around Barbie has just been the most fun to watch because... You know, Ryan Gosling is definitely someone who's not checking the Spotify numbers ever. Like I feel sure. like just like a very he's not, he's not got the dead man's bones Spotify numbers pulled yeah. up every month. <laughs> I think in an admirable way that we kind of expect looking at him and his career, like he's just not probably a numbers guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, every now and then I'll be like, yeah, you've got uh, more monthly listeners than Paul McCartney on Spotify this month. Like just like bizarre <laughs> facts. Yeah, I like sharing them with him because he just has no no like clear reference like he just doesn't care but he's always just like whoa that's that's cool i don't know what's like you'll tell him that and he'll be like is that good yeah yeah (laughs) "Yeah, bud it's good that's so crazy bro how are you for you not not mccartney no just (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess in terms of sync talk i was like yeah there's probably a few good syncs on the barbie soundtrack that probably did you well namely the the barbie movie I think that was <laughs> <laughs> actually it was kind of just the movie really moved the needle for me a little bit yeah but we can't talk about well we can talk about that now right a strike over sag member mark ronson back on the line yeah we can we can i know i'm sorry about that it was just such a weird thing but no, it's okay. uh, guys i have my therapist right now i thought go i thought go 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 on the hour and i would no we are we we, we are no we, we just, just went over two minutes but we'll wrap it up therapy is important i could talk Stay here for a very long time. It's a lot of fun. We appreciate oh, it. Oh, thank you, Mark. We'll we'll have you back. We'll have you back. There's there's we do this a lot. You know, there's always an opportunity. Excellent. Excellent. I'm glad it worked out and um we'll see you soon. Okay, guys.